Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. First of all, it's good to have you. If you're a visitor, welcome to Reliance. It's good to have you guys with us. If you're regular, it's always good to have you with family. We call ourselves a family, and so welcome to the family. Um, I know that uh, if you haven't noticed in October, we've kind of been in the same... Oh, uh, you guys can go ahead and pass the... I saw you guys standing, man. I, I thought maybe this was round two. Great job. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Sometimes I forget. That's okay. That's what family does. They wait, man. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, man, we got the greatest usher crew ever. Thank you guys for that. Um, in October, we have been in this kind of missional, um, evangelistic kind of mode this month where we've shared on some various things with that. A couple weeks ago, there was a group that came through from Colorado Springs called Axe, and they're all about kind of this training and sending group from Colorado Springs. They've got an incredible heart. They talked about the Great Commission and about how we're all called to this Great Commission and really kind of try to stir some boldness in us to go out and, and fulfill this Great Commission. And then last week, Carl, didn't Carl do a great job? Carl brought an awesome word. And Carl was really there trying to activate our heart in this identity of there's the harvest, man, and that God is calling us into the harvest, and he wants to awaken something in the church. And there was something that he said that really got me, and he says this, we need clarity in hearing from God, and we need, we need the fear of the Lord to fall in the church, amen? And I loved it. And so uh, it just kind of activating our hearts again of going, what we have inside of us, people need to hear about. And so that's really what I want to follow suit with today, because I want to talk about evangelism. And then next week, we're going to share a little bit about Guatemala, and then the week after that is the big new manna thing. We're clearing all of the, the, the chairs out of here. We're putting tables up, and our goal, 45,000 packages of food. I know we can do it, all right? So it's going to be awesome. Um, but today, I want to share on the word evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Now, when you hear that word evangelism, for many of you guys, it may have a negative context. For others of you, um, it probably scares you, right? It probably, there's a little bit of fear maybe with that. And I just, today, what I want to do is I just simply, I just want to be simple with today. I want to strip away all the fears and things that maybe we've built around evangelism, and I want to get to the heart of what I believe Jesus means when he tells us to go out and share the hope of the world, which is him. And so the definition of evangelism is spreading of the gospel or the good news, the spreading of the gospel or the good news by public preaching, okay, or personal witness. And so what I want to do is I want to focus on this personal witness idea because I think we've made a lot about evangelism um, that's really not true. I think we've made a lot of things up about evangelism that's not true. Like, I think we've made up this idea that evangelism is a position, right, and not a characteristic of a believer. We've made it about a position. In other words, we've made it about a guy like Billy Graham, who I think was awesome. But we've made it like, Billy Graham, man, he was an evangelist. I could never be what Billy Graham was. We've made it about this position, and yet I believe that evangelism is a characteristic that we all contain when Jesus Christ has touched our life. Amen? And so what I want to do is I want to get to that today. That's really what I want to try to build on. Because I think that we've made it a lot more than it, it really is. And so I just, I want to simplify it. And I want to simplify it by just telling a real quick story of, of Guatemala when we were there. So we got back from Guatemala two weeks ago, that mission trip that seven of us went on. And uh, one of our roles there is we were in the slums in Guatemala, Guatemala City. And, and one of our roles is that we were supposed to take 100 kids on school buses out of the slums and take them to the zoo. 
okay? Madness. It was madness, all right? And so here's what they said. They said, okay, it gets a little bit crazy because there's other kids there, and these kids that are going to get on this bus, they've never been out of the slums. Like, they've never been to the zoo. This is going to be a brand new experience for them, okay? So they said, we want you guys each to have five, five kids in your group, and they gave us specific instructions. Don't lose them, all right? That brought immediate fear to our hearts. Only two of us spoke Spanish, okay? Only two of us spoke Spanish. The rest of us are like, we, are you kidding me right now? And it was going to be packed with kids. I mean, thousands of kids from Guatemala City were at the zoo. So we get on the bus, and, and they said, pick, pick, you know, five kids. But before that, they had said, hey, is anybody good with kind of rambunctious, trouble kids? Like, I mean, just straight out crazy kids, right? And I was like, I guess I'll take them, right? Because I resonate with them a little bit and, you know, whatnot. And so I was like, I'll, I'll take him. And she goes, okay, cool. She goes, one of their names is Jesus, Jesus. She said, Jesus is straight up crazy, all right? And the other one is Angel or Angel, all right? So she goes, you're going to have Jesus and Angel, and they're crazy in your group, right? Now, here's what was crazy about that. So I didn't know who he was, and there's 100 kids around. And so when they told the kids, they said, go find a sponsor. Anybody, they didn't tell the kids who to find. Immediately, this kid wraps his arms around me. Immediately, he's like 11 years old, wraps his arms around me. And I looked down and I just, I was like in my heart, I'm like, this is Jesus, I can tell, right? And I was like, hey, Seuss. And he goes, all right. I was like, okay, we're, we're getting so. So Jesus found me, FYI. Just want you to know that. Um, and then we're, so we get to the zoo and then they, they literally, they just release you in the zoo. And, and again, this one instruction, don't lose your kids. I want you to know by the time we walked in the zoo, Jesus was gone the minute we walked in. I'm like, I have lost Jesus. Four times I lost Jesus in the zoo. But every now and again, I saw Angel running around. I knew if Angel was there, Jesus was close behind. I'm just telling you. There were so many biblical principles in this thing. I kid you not, I would see Angel appear, Jesus would come up behind me. I'm not kidding you. It was a little bit scary, all right? But there was one time where Jesus had disappeared again on me. And I couldn't find him, and I'm frustrated. And Angel can tell I'm frustrated, right? And the other kids. And so I'm walking. I'm trying to find Jesus. Couldn't find him anywhere. Finally, I catch him. I can't speak, you know, Spanish. He can't speak English. So I went like this, like this. And I said, I will break you in half. <laughs> I kid you not. And he goes, okay. So I told Jesus I would break him in half. So, and then I realized something. By the end of our trip in the zoo, okay, I wasn't, you know, I couldn't communicate with these kids. They, they couldn't communicate with me. But by the end of the trip, man, Jesus came and grabbed my hand, and an and angel came and grabbed my hand. And for about the last hour, we walked around that zoo together. And I found out that Jesus, Jesus, that, that he, he, he doesn't really have a mom in the home. He lives in the slums, and his mom is kind of in and out, and he doesn't have a dad at all. And when they ask him about his dad, he says he wants to kill his dad. He had no idea who he is, but he's an 11-year-old boy, and, and again, it's the poorest of poor, and he's, his one mentality of men for, for his dad is, I, I want to kill him. That's my goal. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize that in that encounter at the zoo, here's a kid who has no idea of what a male role figure is, and the fact that I just get, and we all did, we just got to love on these kids, showed the greatest example of the witness of Jesus Christ there possibly is. In that moment, man, we just, we latched on to one another. And even though Jesus was a bit crazy, okay, we had an awesome time 
together. And I share that because I think sometimes we have this idea of evangelism that I've got to get out on a street corner, I've got to know my Bible from A to Z, and I've got to yell it out and scream it at people. And yet the greatest witness and testimony is simply the love of God that compels us for others. Amen, church? Let me, let me take you into something. I always find it interesting because I, I think there's a wrong view and there's a right view of evangelism. And so I find it interesting that when we have our next steps class where people come, they get to know the vision and values of Reliance, who we are and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, we don't really do membership or anything like that. We just go, look, if you're actively serving in the kingdom, you're, you know, you're, you're in. And so... And so when we go through, we give people a spiritual gifts test. And I'm just going to say over the last couple years, 100 people that have gone through it, um, the, the, the least spiritual gift on almost everybody but maybe four people is evangelism. We're like, hey, what's your highest spiritual gifts? And they're like, administration, leadership, teaching, encouragement, discernment, all these things. And what's your lowest? And it's almost always evangelism, Right. And, and, and we kind of laugh, and the reason that we kind of laugh is because I think we just have a wrong perception of it. As I shared, I think we, we all have this thing in our hearts that thinks of evangelism as, I've got to get up like, you know, pastor, or I've got to get up like somebody that knows their Bible, and I've got to open it, and somehow I've got to share things that I don't, I don't even know about. I don't even know about the Bible in that way. And so we've got this wrong per- perception of it. And so I want to say this. Um, I believe all of us in this room, because we have Jesus in us, I believe all of us aren't just called to evangelism, we are evangelism. Amen? We're not just called to it, we, we are it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. In Colossians 1.27, and we camp out here a lot, I love this verse. Paul's talking to the Colossian believers and he says this. Now understand, Paul's in a prison cell. He's riding Colossians in a prison cell, and here's what he says. To them God has chosen to make, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, this is the glorious riches, this is the mystery of God revealed. If you want to know the glorious riches of God, he tells you right here. Christ in, somebody say, you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's pinning this letter, and he's going, I'm in jail. I'm going to tell you the greatest mystery you could ever know about the God of the universe and what he has for you. Jesus Christ lives in you. Amen? And he is the hope of glory. And so inside of us, every one of us in this room that's confessed and said yes to Jesus Christ, inside of us is the greatest hope of glory for mankind. The greatest hope of glory for mankind resides in every single one of us, and yet we've made evangelism about a position that somehow you have to be spiritually gifted at. You see how messed up that is, church, right? Inside of us, Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Look what Paul goes on and he says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this, Paul says, to this, I strenuously, earnestly contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let me tell you what he's saying in this moment right here. Paul's going, look, at the end of the day, every power that God has given me, all the energy that God has given me, all the ability to go, 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 that God has given me, I will do one thing with it. I will do one thing with it. I will proclaim Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. That that was his call. That was his mission. Christ in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think it comes down to understanding who we have. Amen, church. Because I think 
Otherwise, it scares us. It scares us because we think we have to be the guy up here on a stage, or we think we have to be the person that knows all, all about Scripture. Those are, look, that's great. But at the end of the day, Jesus did something in your life, and he marked you when you said yes to him. And something changed. And the world needs to hear that. Amen? When we were growing up, one of the ways in which we did evangelism, like looking back, I'm thinking of ways in which we did things, and, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Like, do you, do you remember, did, were you part of a church? We, we were, right? Do you, were you part of a church, like, that got fake money and handed it to people, right? And they were so excited, like, you're giving me $10, and then you turn it over, and it says, Jesus loves you, right? Not only do they not like Jesus now, they hate you, Right? And I'm thinking these were the ways that we were trying to attract people, giving them a pamphlet. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not knocking those things, trying to you know, give them a pamphlet, give them whatever. And, and yet at the end of the day, Scripture's like, don't, you're not handing pamphlets out. Tell them about how God changed your life. Tell them about when you were once broken. Tell them about when, when you were once feeling like you had everything going your way. You felt like you were on the top of the world. You were successful. You had the greatest this, the greatest that, the greatest that. And you still felt empty. Tell them about that. And so I, I feel like if we strip everything down, even the Romans road, you know, anybody grow up with taking people through the Romans road, right? And it's, and it's good. It's good. Like the wages of sin is death. Do you understand that? Yes. The gift of God is eternal life. We were all sinners. All of us were on the, like it's good to do those things. I'm not knocking any, any of that. But at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you right now, most people in here aren't going to go and take people through the Romans road. But you are going to take people through your life and your road. You're going to remind people once where you were at. And then someday, then you come back and you, you show them, look, this is how God works through his word. But you're living, breathing the testimony of what God has done in your life. Something changes inside of you. Many of us feel discouraged because we feel like our temps are just simply memorized approaches we grew up with. Like I memorized this. Step one, find somebody who's unassuming, right? Check. Step two, and, and so we've gone through these steps and we re, we're like, God, it just it didn't work like I, I thought. And maybe it's that we didn't realize the value of what we have and what we can pass on. We see it wrongly. Like it's synonymous with getting people to fill our churches. We've made evangelism. Another thing we've done, we've made evangelism synonymous with, I just simply want you to come to my church. Let me just tell you something. Evangelism has nothing to do with getting people to your church, amen? It has everything to do to get people to the kingdom of God. When Jesus gave the great commission, he didn't say, look, go out and make disciples of Reliance Community Church. That's trash, right? He says, go out and make disciples of me. Go make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. I want you to know, there are so many life-giving churches out there. They'll find their way to where they need to be. Our goal is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's radically changed us. And if they come through these doors, we're going to love on them. Amen, church. But our goal, more than anything in evangelism, isn't to notch the belt. Look what we've done. We've built and we've grown and yada, yada, yada. Our goal is to say, look at the kingdom of God moving. Look at the kingdom of God growing. And so we're breaking these wrong perceptions of what evangelism is. Let me tell you why this is important. I had a bunch of them, but I don't have time to share them with you guys. I was listening to Upper Room, Michael Miller, and he's sharing a statistic from these guys who sit around and they do studies. And he said this about, um, uh, about one of the statistics. He said, every year, over one million people walk away from their Christian faith. 
By age of 35, most decide on whether or not they want to have faith or not. And so he, he's basically talking about this epidemic of, of saying, we as the church can no longer sit back and say, we're, we're praying for the next Billy Graham to rise up. You are the next Billy Graham. I'm not, I love Billy Graham's ministry, FYI. He did awesome things. I'm just simply telling, we can't wait for the next Billy Graham to show up. We've got to see that, that you, you are that person right now, right now. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, amen? And so breaking those things down, we've got to see that there is this intensity right now that's growing. I believe there's an intensity that's growing in the life of the church, not reliance, in the life of the body of Christ all over right now, where God is trying to raise up people because he believes so strongly that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so as we go through this, I want to tell you this next thing, which is that you are the right person. <laughs> you, you are the right person. Um, this is an issue that we have, that somebody's smarter than me, somebody knows scripture more than me, and so I just don't know. I hear this all the time. I just don't know the Bible that well. I hear it all. I just don't know the, the, the Bible that well, so, so I, I just don't know if, if I can do it. But let me just tell you something. Even if you don't know the Bible that well, you know the person of the Bible. <laughs> you know Jesus. Like when somebody came to you and said, do you, wanna, do you wanna know Jesus Christ? I seriously doubt that you read through the Bible in a year and then said, yes, I do, right? Like something happened in your heart where you're like, I can't go on any longer. There's just something stirring inside of me. The scripture already says, no one comes to the Father but him who's been drawn. So God was already working this out in your life because of his grace, amen? And you meet him face to face, you say, I want this Jesus, and then boom, he encounters you, you meet him, and then you get into the word. <laughs> but yet, for some reason, something happens inside of us then, where we think that, you know, we've got to have all this biblical knowledge before someone's going to come to Jesus. It's ludicrous. You're the right person, because you know the person of the Bible. I, I know a ton of people, theologians, that could tell you everything you want to know about the Bible, but sometimes I wonder if they've ever encountered the person of the Bible. So, so let me go back to that definition again. So the definition of evangelism is proclaiming the gospel message, giving the gospel message through public preaching or personal witness. And I want you to hear today that by definition, you are an evangelist because you have a personal witness of what Jesus has done in your life. Um, Paul says this, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through, uh, 1, 18 through chapter 2. Real quickly, I want to read this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. I want you to hang on that phrase. Think of what you were when you were called. Before you came to Jesus, think of what you were. Successful, man, addicted. Where, where were you at before you just kind of uh, in life? Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Amen? God chose the shepherds and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He didn't choose the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He chose the things that everybody else disregarded. And then when people saw that they had Jesus inside of them, they were attracted to those people. What happened to that person? That's the person who slept around all the time. What happened to that person? That's the person who used to rob us in taxes. What happened to those guys? Those guys were fishermen. They were lowly. Those guys were shepherds. They played in poo all day, right? What happened to them? 
They've got this joy and this hope inside of them. Look what he goes on and he says. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as is written, as is written let, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then Paul tells you his own story. Paul, the apostle, he, he was zealous. He knew the word. I mean, this guy was upper status. He was the upper elite. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Look what he says in verse 2. For I resolved. I made it my mission. I made it my heart. I resolved to know nothing, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. (laughs) Paul's like, I don't care about all the other stuff. This is the only thing that I cared about that I want to make known to you. Jesus Christ was crucified on the third day he rose again, and he's the hope of glory inside of you. Amen. This is what stirred Paul. Not that he had all of it down. He could have quoted all the scripture. He could have debated with the best of them. And yet he says this when it comes to evangelism for him. I made it so that I wouldn't know anything except what Jesus Christ has done, crucified and in my life. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You wanna know what God's power is? God's power is the Pam that's in Panera that's working in her heart right now. God's power is in the addict that gave up his addiction because God met him. That's God's power. God's power is all around us. God's power is in this room because he's in each side of each one of us. That while we were still messing around in our sin, he still came after us. That's God's power. And we come and we fully express and we exemplify Jesus then in our life to others around us. When you came to Christ and you traded your life for his, you became the one who represents him well. Listen to me, church, on this. So whether you're at work or you're at home or you're at the gym or you're at the park or you're just simply being neighborly, now all those things have skin to them. All those things have skin to them and that you carry in you an eternal value. That everywhere you go, God has appointed you and put you in that place and in that season so that you can share Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. This world will do anything. Listen, this world will do anything to keep someone from knowing the truth about Jesus. And the biggest area that this world tries to keep you from knowing about Jesus is the mind. Everybody say mind. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us something we need to lock into. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, the God of this age has blinded the what? Minds of unbelievers. I want you to lock into that for a minute. The key in, and key in on something here. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, but notice that it doesn't say he's blinded their hearts. You see, I I find sometimes that we think that the God of this age has just blinded the person completely. But scripture says the God of this age has blinded their minds, but it hasn't blinded their hearts. Sometimes the most theological discussions, and, and, and let me get real theological with you and try to lead you somewhere, and their mind has been blinded, so they're not receiving it. But when you speak to their heart and you share your personal witness of what Jesus has done in you, you get heart to heart with them. And the most theological person right now, I'm telling you, the most theological person, you get heart to heart with them something changes amen 
I've had debates with those people that are just set in their mind that God's not real or whatever. And you come at them and you, you, know, you try to show them, you try to show And I would say that I don't know that I've ever seen one of them, them change. I don't know that I've ever given them something theological where they're like, you know, I'm going to completely change my life. But I can tell you a thousand conversations that I've had. I'm like, brother, this is where I was at when I was 21. Jesus found me. <laughs> Grew up in church my whole life. Went off to K-State and did the party life. And then Jesus found me. First of all, they can't refute that, amen? And I didn't need to have a theological discussion because right then our hearts just connected because Jesus needed to find them. I'm telling you, something stirs in our hearts and it opens the door for their hearts. Francis Chan says this, do we understand, do we understand when we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about a miracle? When we, when we talk about evangelism, we're talking about a miracle must happen. It's like raising the dead, but sometimes we don't think of it that way. He's like, when you're talking about evangelism, you're raising someone who's been spiritually dead to life. But we don't always look at it that way. We take it nonchalantly. And he goes, we're talking about a miracle. When somebody comes to Jesus, it's a miracle. Amen? We're talking about things where God is stirring in people's hearts that were once dead, and now they're made alive in Christ. And this is what we have within us. We have within us this, this thing, this DNA that God has put in us. It's called compassion for people. What steers us in evangelism is compassion for people. Not the notch on the belt, not look what I've done. It's compassion. We're simply compassion drives evangelism. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And that as a father, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We carry this. We carry compassion within us. Jesus, in all of his ministry, when he was getting ready to do some evangelism, listen to this. Jesus, in all of his ministry, had compassion. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went all through the towns and villages, teaching at their synagogues, preaching the good news and of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. That's awesome. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So Jesus is going around doing ministry, and something grips his heart. He sees these crowds that have been following him, and he sees, like, sin and brokenness and wickedness and all of these things. And rather than sitting there and calling it out, you sinners, you wretched people, you're so messed up. I'm so sick and tired of you. It says that he sees them, and he's gripped with compassion. And he turns to his disciples, and he says, do you see? See this? Do you see they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? He says, you want to pray? Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You and I, were workers, amen? We're not waiting for somebody else to be risen up as a, as a worker for that next thing. That's you and I in our everyday life. Compassion <laughs> motivates Compassion drives. It's interesting how emboldened we become when someone is lying on their deathbed and we have compassion on them. Or we're in another country and all of a sudden we have compassion. I was so convicted by this when I was in Guatemala. We're sitting there, man, it was just easy. It was easy sharing the love of God. Every house we went into, it was easy. It was easy sharing Jesus. We're in another country. In the back of my mind, I'm like, these people aren't gonna see me, right? Like we live in two, two, two different countries. Like I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to be bold. 
You see somebody lying on their deathbed somewhere. It's easy. It's there towards the end of their life. But yet, then I sit there and I'm thinking, man, I've got friends and family on both sides of me that I'm nervous to share Jesus with. Why? I'll do it when they're on their deathbed. I'll do it in another country. Yet here's these people that need hope just like I needed hope. And there's a nervousness in me. Why? And I was stirred with that. And I was convicted. Because at the end of the day, we're more likely to love others that we've never met than to love people that we do life with on a day-to-day basis because we're fearing what they might think if we share the hope of Jesus. Most of us in here can make a list. We can make a list of all of our friends that don't know the hope of God, and we can make a list of family that don't know the hope of Jesus. We're surrounded by people that we love and that we like, but we fear sharing the one hope that can save them. And somehow we've bought into this form of Christianity that makes that acceptable. Yet Paul addresses this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then he says something that really gripped my heart. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This isn't, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to put fear on you with that. I'm not trying to sit here and, and, and you know, yeah, I'm just not trying to put fear on you with that. But when I read that, that gripped my heart. Paul's basically telling these people, look, I've encountered you, and I've, procla- I've proclaimed the good news of Jesus. I didn't withhold it. I didn't keep it inside of myself. Because we've met, I-, I-, I told you what Jesus can do. I told you that he's the hope of your life. And now he said, I'm innocent of that blood. So then I'm like, well, why would he say that? And I know he, that's Old Testament too. He gets that from an Old Testament scripture. But in my own life, the Lord showed me something. And I, again, this, isn't for, this was for me. This isn't condemnation, this isn't any of those things, not trying to fear you into this, but I'm sitting there going, when I get to heaven someday, the Lord showed me this picture. And I've got family on this side that that have never encountered the hope of Jesus. I've got these friends over here, and in my heart, I knew that I just simply didn't want to tell them because I feared that maybe I wouldn't be their friend anymore, my family would come against me or whatever. And I look at Jesus face to face, and he's like, yeah, those people there, like immediately I thought of that verse of going, Paul says, He's innocent of the blood on their hands. And I was immediately gripped by that. Like, I, I don't, look, I'm not a theologian. I, I don't know the full nature of what that means, but something stirred in me that says, do you see the urgency? Jesus' whole calling, Jesus' whole calling was evangelism. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is why I'm having you follow me, that you would be fishers of men. I don't want to make this legalistic church. I don't want you to go home and make your list of 10 people that you go, okay, you know, every week I'm going to share the hope of Jesus with these 10 people. Look, I don't want legalism. I'm just saying you carry something inside of you that the world needs. No, no, no. Let me take that back. You you carry something inside of you, someone inside of you that the world has to have. 
compassion when you see people like Jesus sees them. Compassion is being deeply affected in that inner part of your heart which moves you, like it moves you. I'm so, he sees compassion, he's moved with kindness and grace and mercy. Compassion motivates us to share, to give ourselves with others because of what Jesus has given to us. Let me just share this last thing and then we'll, we'll close out. We, when we talk about compassion, we have to have personal experiences with God's compassion so that we can share the message of God with compassion. I'm gonna say that one more time. We have to have personal experiences with God's compassion so that we can share the message of God with compassion. There's some intimacy things with us and Jesus that need to be going on. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Too, too many believers share their faith without compassion gripping their hearts. So I'll share it, you take it, doesn't matter to me. But compassion, something happens in compassion where the inner being in my heart says, you need this, don't you? Look, look, you have to have this. Like I'm not, like I don't wanna walk away from you right now. I'm not okay if, if, if you just go, you know what, I just don't need it in my life. Like, I'll pray for you, but I'll probably find you again, okay? And, and so something within us, we've experienced that with God, and so that's how, that's how we experience it. It grips our hearts for others. In other words, we lack the compassion of God touching our own hearts. It's more of a religious must-do. And so for many, evangelism, sharing the gospel, has become this like religious must-do. Well, you, you have to share Jesus at least once a year, right? And we tally it all up rather than compassion with the love of God that compels us. And so just in, in closing, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We no longer see people with worldly eyes. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So here's what I wanna do. I, I wanna invite our prayer team to come up. If I asked you right now, you know, do, you, do you know names of people right now that need the hope of Jesus? Every person in here could say yes. Family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. My question is, when you see them, do you have compassion? When you see them, is some, does something grip your heart to say, man, they're broken, they're broken. And I just, I wanna fall on my face, God, and I wanna ask that you would just give me an opportunity to share how I encountered you. So this morning, I wanna give you that opportunity. I know we're going over time, it's okay. I've been gone for two weeks, amen? So up here at the prayer team, somebody said something to me first service. If you've never experienced the compassion of God, I wanna invite you to come up here and be prayed over. Because if you've never experienced the compassion of God, it's hard for you to have compassion for others. So if you've never had that, I wanna invite you to come and pray. And then everybody else, let's just close our eyes if we can this morning. And if there's a person or two people that you just feel gripped with right now that need to know the hope of God, and you wanna get on your knees, you can get on your knees. If you wanna stand up, you can stand up. If you wanna come to the altar, you can come to the altar. If you wanna stay in your seat, stay in your seat. But can we be driven by compassion right now and just lock in with that name and put a face to that name and say, Father, I know in the name of Jesus this person needs you. 
God, if you allow me or anybody else to come into their life, we want to be able to share the opportunity of how you came in and changed everything inside. So let me just pray this over us. Father, we do. We pray that today, Father, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray that compassion would grip our hearts, that we would never be the same again because you had compassion on us. And so, Father, I pray that even in this moment, we're not looking for evangelism to come from some other source but within us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So, Father, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would stir compassion in this place. I pray that this group of people would be known as men and women of compassion. Lord, give us that name, give us that face. And if there's somebody in this room that's never experienced the compassion of God, I pray that today they would be so bold as to get up, come and be prayed over, that they may feel your love. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.